Welcome to From Beneath the Hollywood Sign. If you love old movies, Hollywood history, or the golden age of filmmaking, you've come to the right place. This is the podcast that talks about amazing stories of Tinseltown from another era and fascinating conversations with writer-producer Steve Kubine and actress-writer Nan McNamara. So, Steve, did Ava Gardner and Howard Hughes have a good relationship? Well, they did until he dislocated her jaw. What? Well, don't worry. She hit him back with an ashtray. From Beneath the Hollywood Sign is the gin joint for you. This is The Movies That Made Me, with your hosts, Josh Olson and Joe Dante. So, Josh, you have You Only Live Twice in the background, dog. Which is on my list of, which is on my top 20 list of faves. It's, one, it's my number one favorite uh, Bond film because it's got ninjas in it. <laughs> Shit, I, I, I feel terrible saying what I'm about to say. It's, uh, no, I, it's a great film. It's, I, it's not actually uh, my favorite Connery Bond. And those are, of course, the best, right? We agree. Which one? Uh, but it is my favorite poster. Got it. Which one is your favorite Connery? Uh, I gotta go. I gotta go. Uh, I'm a purist. I gotta go with From Russia with Love. Yeah, yeah, good, 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 good. That amazing, that amazing fight in the train. with Robert Shaw. So JJ, are you gonna wait? Wait, wait. No, Joe, Joe. What? I need you. I need you. I need to leave him in suspense for a minute. About what? Hang on one second. Just want to finish this up. Don't say a word. Um, um, sorry. That's me talking that way to Joe Dante. That's how. That's how cool I am. No, the way on, on this, it has prehensile toes. You can't really see it that he's hanging on the side. But anyway, I just want to tell you before uh, I watched the film and I was like, yeah, let's have this guy on. And, and Joe was sort of running behind on things. And I was like, ah, he'll probably like it. Was I right, Joe? Was I correct? Did you probably like it? Did you enjoy day shift? My question was going to be, is, is this picture going to get any theatrical release? No. It's a tragedy. Because I, I, this is the greatest audience picture that I've seen in a long time. Thanks, brother. I, I mean, see, I wanted, I wanted to, I wanted to squeeze some suspense out of him. I wanted him to. <laughs> well, brothers, you know, you know, I'm, I'm 54, so I mean, I'm, you know, I'm Gen X, and I grew up, I, you know, I fell in love with movies when I was a kid, but that period of like Big Trouble in Little China, Lost Boys, Fright Night, Evil Dead from the 80s, action comedy horror always really just stuck with me. And I, the only thing that I've seen that's anything like that was Zombieland recently, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and they didn't get, well, it's a great film. I love it, but they don't have the teeth, the back, the, the action team, mm-hmm. you know, like yeah. that's my yeah, it's more of a, it's more of a kind of comedy. This is, are you based on, were you out here back then in those days? Are you from here? No, I'm from South Texas. I'm from, I'm from Stafford. Okay. Cause I, I said to Joe, I, what is, I said, I felt like after I watched it, that I was at the village theater in Westwood in 1988. <clears throat> which is like when I had just moved out here and I was seeing all those movies in theaters and it was like, it was such an amazingly well, fun this time. Well, this is an impressive, the, the movie of course is, is called Day Shift. And uh, one of the things that's most impressed, impressive about it, aside from the fact that it's 
it's your first film as a director, as a which director. is astounding. I mean, it's so much better than my first film. Of course, it's a hundred times more expensive than my first film, but still, um, is that you've taken some, you've taken a, a well-worn genre, the vampire movie, which we all have seen a hundred times, and you've managed to reimagine it as something that's totally contemporary, totally fun, and so full of action that uh, there there is a, the the first fight scene in this picture has not only um, unexpected and, and and beautifully choreographed, but it's got a mirror gag in it that I'm amazed no one in the history of vampire movies has yes. ever been able to do. Gotcha. Uh, and you guys did it. And it's, gotcha. uh, I, I tell you, it is, it is so much fun. I haven't seen another movie this year that's been as much fun as this, except maybe RR. And honestly, as someone who has always wanted to see Jamie Foxx beat the living shit out of a little old white lady. Um, it, uh... her, her name is Karen, by the way. Ah. And, and the guy who gets his head cut off is Chad. Fantastic. I'm just joking. Oh, <laughs> okay. A, um, but but obviously, Joe and I need to we need to we need to prep for this because I really did want to wring some suspense out. It's like you know he wanted to know what you thought of this film, Joe. And I was like, I was like, let's I, torture I, him for just it, a minute. It's a terrific film. I mean, I'm I'm really really impressed. Yeah, it's great. It's really yeah. it's so much fun. By the way, we should say the movie is because uh, we're just talking. Uh, we're we're here with the director J.J. Perry director of Day Shift, um, which is going to be on Netflix at the end of this week on August 12th. Um, watch it. It's so much fun. Don't watch in pieces. Don't watch it on your phone. Have some friends over or go over to a friend's house. Somebody with uh, a big screen. Someone with a big screen, I, pizza, beer, pot, whatever. It just do what you're supposed to do with these things because um, it is it is not a movie that you sit and contemplate by yourself. It's just, it is rip-roaring fun. It is if you look at the trailer, it is the movie it promises, and then some. Oh my, just yeah, and and we don't do that on the show. We don't talk about our guest movies, so we're gonna have to cut all of this. <laughs> um, but yeah, seriously, uh, JJ, fantastic, and you you were um, also. I was really, uh, I I love that. Um, seeing this more often now, you were you were a stunt guy. Yeah, I, I got out of the army in 1990. Uh, I was stationed all over the place, and then I out processed from Fort Ord, California, which was Seventh Light Infantry up in um, like Seaside, Monterey. I took the five south, never made the left turn on the ten to go back to Texas. Just stayed in L.A. and said, "I'm going to do my best to be a stunt man." And I figured if I fucked that up, I'd be right back in the army, and I wouldn't be too far from where I left off. So I just drive back up the five, and they were saving a chair for me. And I just got really lucky, man. And I'd be honest with you guys, like, kind of falling into this business, and you know, being a stunt man, and having worked for you know 32 years since I got out of the army, and you know, 150 features, more than 300 episodes of TV. When you work with that many directors and on that many pr productions, it's like film school. As long as you're paying attention, yeah, and. Uh, yeah. Gotten to work with some of the masters, Ang Lee, you know, Tarantino, um, the guy who directed tra Traffic, uh, Soderbergh, uh, McTiernan, you know, Ch and even Chad's the new uh, the new generation of stunt directors, Chad Stahelski, Dave yeah. Beach, are all up my uh, up my alley. You know, we we all came up together, and uh, be, and I think a lot of this has to do with the fact that we previs all of the action sequences for other directors, like we shoot and cut it right. on cameras. So, it, you know, once you know how to edit, it informs you as a director on what you need to shoot. Yeah. Yeah. And we've, we've talked about this show before, too, because it makes, I think, both of us nuts that um, there's still no category in the Academy for um, stunts. It's hard is, to believe. Yeah. I mean, 
it's not to, I probably shouldn't be bagging on these folks, especially with one, I think, listening, but it's like, there's a PR division in the Oscars and they do amazing work. But the last time I checked PR, people don't actually create the films. Yeah. I don't and yet people who are actually instrumental in designing and even sometimes directing some of your favorite scenes and some of your favorite movies don't get noticed. So I, I don't think we will get an Oscar because if you give an Oscar to a stunt man, what you're saying is that the actor didn't do it. And when you give an Oscar to a stunt coordinator, you're saying the director didn't do it. And you know how Hollywood is, man. It's kind of like, you know, look, I, I didn't get in this business for trophies and mm -hmm. I'm, I'm super honored. And, you know, like, I think that's a, I'm not trying to bag on the Oscars or the Academy. I'm an Academy member, but for me, the, the business, the juice for me, the Oscar for me is going to cool places, doing a bunch of wild shit with my friends, tearing stuff up and then getting on a plane and going to do it <laughs> where else. That's the juice for me, baby. That's my Oscar. Fantastic. And I've got a ton of them. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Um, well, yeah, no, I was really, we watched the film and I was so psyched. And honestly, I was so psyched because Joe, I usually sort of vet them first and then I'll send them on to Joe if I like think they're worth checking out or if I think you'll like them. Or, and I was like, I, I think Joe's going to go for this one. And he didn't just go for it about like 10 minutes after he sent me an email going, that was great. He, he's got this mailing list of friends that he sends stuff out to. And he had written like a five paragraph rave review of this thing to everybody going, you got to see this movie. <laughs> so I'm so stoked. very, very psyched to have you. And we want to start picking your brain to find out what kind of movies made you, man. What kind of movies like turned you on to movies and action and, and where, and where you find those contortionists. <laughs> so looking here, Joe, I'm going to be honest with you. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm super dyslexic. So when I, when I'm reading, it takes me a while to read scripts, but when I'm editing some of the stuff I do, I watch it in forward and watch it in reverse. I always watch it both ways. And I was doing a movie years ago called Spectral in um, Spectral, not um, Spectre, but Spectral in Budapest. And I had these, it was about uh, uh, spirits killing people. And I had this very flexible girl who was on a wire do something weird. And when I watched it in reverse, I was like, oh my God, it looks better in reverse than does looking forward. I pitched this gag. I pitched the whole contortionist thing shot in reverse to every director that I've worked for since 2013 and nobody wanted to do it. Uh, and I never thought I was going to get to direct a film ever. I thought, ah, oh, I'll be second year director. I'm stoked. So when my chance came, you know, this is, everyone's done the same thing so many times. So the idea is to always come up with something new, something right. fresh, something that nobody's seen before. Now we've seen people walking on their hands upside down in the exorcist, but no one's weaponized or reactionized contortionists, you know? So what we did was we shot it in reverse, but there's a, secret magical frame rate that I won't disclose on this, that I'd be happy to sell to whoever wants the highest bidder that you have to use to make that work. And there's a lot of tells like hair, clothing, smoke in the background. You right. can't have any of that because it'll make the reverse look like reverse. Yeah. Nah, it works great. I didn't even notice. I mean, it was just uh, such you. an amazing scene. Um, well, cool, man. Well, let's, let's, so did you grow up on movies? Were you like a movie kid? Were you, uh, I did, you know, like growing up in, in uh, outside of Houston, Texas, like, um, so I started martial arts back in 1975 when I was a little kid. So that's why you see my list is very heavily martial arts influenced. And that was one of the reasons when I saw Enter the Dragon with my uncle in the movie theater back in 1973, just after Bruce Lee died, I was probably six years old and I lost my mind. You know, I was like, yeah. oh my God, I want to, I want to be that dude. Why? Woo! I was running around the house. <laughs> I, I so I got enrolled in martial arts and Taekwondo program. And, and that made me really interested in action movies, fight, like especially Hong Kong action movies. And if you go through that list, you know, like you see from the seventies, like 
Enter the Dragon being one of the first ones that influenced me. Then there's another movie that Bruce Lee directed called Return of the Dragon. He was, that was the only movie that Bruce Lee directed. And he tried to inject a little bit of his Zen and philosophy into it. But then there's Rocky as well. I thought that Rocky is- I wanna, I wanna, Yeah, I want to kind of take a minute and sort of walk through each of them and talk about how they impacted sure, you. Sure, sure. But sure. Um, yeah, because like with Enter the Dragon, it was such a, uh, we're about the same age. And there was just that, there was a weird cultural segment. I remember like, it, it's interesting because I'm from Philly. Which is you know East Coast urban and you're you're in Texas and the same thing is happening like right. kids just losing their mind for Bruce Lee. Um, it seemed very organic. You know we didn't live in that world where you could you know where you could market something like that and make it happen. Um, what what for you was it like when you saw him or when you think about him today? What what was it that really like popped? Because I'm always grappling with that. Like why was he such a you know phenomenal star? The perception of when you watch him fight, he never gets hit. He's like a hot knife going through butter through 100 people, which is, you know, complete movie hero-esque. And when you're young, you're like, oh, my God, he just killed 100 people. You know, where it's, it's, it's not extremely realistic, I can tell you from a guy that's had 186 amateur fights. It's not 100% realistic to get into a fight and not get hit. But it really resonated with me, like, wow, he's powerful. And that's when the audience sees it, the audience believes it. And not to say that he wasn't an, an amazing martial artist, he was. And the movies that he did and the, the action that he created kind of pushed this wave of movies up yeah. that I'm kind of still riding on, you know, which created the, you know, the Jackie Chans and the Jet Lees and the Van Dams and the Steven Seagals and the Chuck Norrises, who I got to do 100 episodes of Walker with, by the way, back in the day, who I'm a big fan of. He used to tell me Bruce Lee stories all the time. But um, it was definitely that, uh, that style of, you know, hero-esque choreography where he couldn't even be touched. You know, right. I thought that was amazing. Yeah, yeah. No, and it, and it was, I guess, at the time, too, because it was sort of new to the culture. Absolutely. Um, you know, just martial arts in general. And we all thought we could be kung fu stars or, you know, yeah. kung fu masters. Um, you, you went the extra step of actually pursuing that. I, uh, I just watched the movies over and over again and figured I'd learn that way, which... Um, in case you were wondering, that doesn't work. <laughs> it does not work. Uh, good way to hit yourself in the head with nunchucks a lot, though. Yes. Um, yeah. Can you? Are you? Are you good with those? Was that a thing you got into? Yeah, I mean, initially, as soon as I saw Into the Dragon, I cut a broomstick up and I got a I got a whipping for it. I cut a broomstick in half and put a shoestring between them. And <laughs> I, my grandma came home and hit me with a slipper for doing that. But and I also lumped myself up proper. But it, you know, of course. You know, and then in front of every mirror, I would get in front of mirrors and <laughs> walk yeah. sideways and all that. So, yeah, it was it was definitely a big influence. And it made me train really hard. It made me want to be really great at martial arts. And I'll tell you, martial arts for me was, you know, it's what made me into a soldier. And joining the army is what made me into a man. You know, I was already a soldier from being in the, the martial arts school, which was, you know, partly because of Bruce Lee, why I, why I started martial arts. Got it. And then... Um... When was I? It's like because they all had such different titles too. Because Return of the Dragon wasn't it also way. Well, it's hard. It's hard to keep. It's hard to keep them straight because so many of them were distributed by other distributors and they changed the titles again. Right. And so it, it and then there were the imitations. You know, there were so oh, many God, imitations, well, yeah. and they all yeah. had similar titles too. Yeah, but Return yeah. of the Dragon. I remember. I can't. But I can't remember. It was so long ago. And I haven't. It, it came out. Didn't it come out before End of the Dragon somehow as Way of the Dragon? Or am I completely? Yes. Wrong? Yes, it was Way of the Dragon. Yes. Yeah. And then um, shot, I think he shot it in '69 or '70, and they shot it in Rome and in Hong Kong. Yeah. And Chuck Norris was in it, and um, you know that's I, I would just 
harass Chuck Norris about Bruce Lee every time. We just I worked with him in the late nineties, like I said. Yeah. So I would just harass him about Bruce Lee stories. But did um, he, yeah, did he enjoy that, that, or do you think it got annoying after a while? No, he's cool, man. <laughs> Chuck Norris is like one of my. He's what a gem of a human, and you know, a great martial artist and a great and a great, you know, just a great dude in general. Very generous of spirit. Um, and then there was Bob Wall, who recently passed away. That Bruce Lee fought. He's the guy who had the cut on his face. O'Hara. Oh yeah, sure. Yep. He was always out there on episodes of Walker. So when I would get the two of them together, it would be a Bruce Lee love fest. <laughs> so you know, I would just hey, tell me more about you know, you know philosophy and tell. He said, oh yeah, we'd go over to his house and kick the bag and hang out and you know talk story and talk theory. So yeah, it was a lot of it was it was it was a, a lot of fun getting to work with those guys and hearing all those Bruce Lee stories. I feel like it comes in waves too. I feel like we're sort of in a wave right now of sort of martial arts movies again, where you're getting people like um, in your film and we've had them on the show, uh, the great Scott Atkins, for instance. And yep. there's this kind of wave of these guys, sort of a new generation of, of great martial arts action stars. And um, it seems to come and go, but it always comes back because there's just no getting over just the sheer physical beauty of that it's stuff. It's just, it's cool. Come on. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah, no, no, it is. And the, one of the things I love is there's, there's also a moment when like, I mean, I haven't done a long time. I'm married and she loves this stuff, but, but you know, a long time ago, there's also the thing when you'd like show a girl her first martial arts film, assuming she had not seen this stuff. Then, I don't want to see people fight. And then be like, Oh shit. It's, <laughs> it's like ballet. You're like, yeah, it is. It's, it's incredible. So, so interestingly, I go back a little ways with Scott Atkins in 2003, we did a movie called undisputed two together in Bulgaria. Mm. Okay. And did the tournament. And then I did the shepherd. Then we did, I did, I got, um, uh, Wolverine X-Men origins. And then I brought Scott to put him in the faceless mask thing. And for Ryan Reynolds, the weapon X thing. So I have a, a, a longstanding friendship with Scott and there's no, there's no way I do a movie and I don't put Scott Atkins in it. Cause he's one of my favorite people on the planet. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. He was, he was a great guest too. Um, in fact, Oh wait, I think I see. Cause the next film on your list, uh, I know I, um, uh, again, we were doing it over zoom. So I felt safe. I did challenge him to, to a fight over. He's a Rocky two guy. I'm a Rocky one guy. Yeah. Right. I'm with you, man. But, yeah. uh, <laughs> no, yeah. Let's talk about Rocky. How, how you saw that obviously in theaters when you were a kid. Yep. And you know, it was also the way it made you feel as a kid. Yes. You remember that, right? You just oh, wanted God, to yeah. compete. You know, you just wanted to, you felt like as every kid probably does. I mean, at least I did. I felt like an underdog a lot of the time. So I always felt like I've got to work harder than everyone else. And it really spoke to me. I'll never forget it. You know, the way I felt coming out of that movie, you know, like I just wanted to run home and hit the bag, you know, and go to a tournament. And uh, it, it was just, it was the way it made me feel. And I, look, the rest of the Rocky films are great too. Don't get me wrong. I wasn't as much a fan of Rocky five, but one, right. two, three, and four were all great films. And Stallone directed two, three, and four, if I'm and five, if I'm not mistaken. And I've got to work with him a half a dozen times, so I'm a big fan. I think he's a tremendous director, and I think he's a great actor. But you know, there comes a point in um, in every franchise where you have to think about how far are we taking this, right? You know, like I've, I, did, I just did Fast and Furious nine two years ago, and they're doing ten right now. <laughs> great films i love them because i make a ton of dough but you know you know where i'm going uh yeah no i mean but one of the things i love about stallone is is that he was so you know that that's such a smart move to take the turn that he did to go into creed and to yep. become a supporting character in your own franchise yep um i just think it just made people love him all the more i think he's a i think he's a genius i just did a movie with him called samaritan not too long ago before i did my movie it comes out like in two weeks after my movie which was a lot of fun it's about an Oh, it's about the over the hill kind of superhero guy that's dying. It's actually pretty good. I hope you guys check it out. Oh, great. 
Yeah, and I, I um, the other thing too is he never got. I mean, I guess he did get credit, but it just feels like people were always trying to take it away. The script for Rocky was so damn good. Yeah, and just that yeah. dialogue was so amazing and 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 just just gorgeous. And people kept trying yeah. to sort of like make him out to be some kind of meathead. And you're like, this is a beautiful screenplay. Burgess Meredith. Oh yeah, come on, <laughs> women <Yep>. weaken legs. <laughs> <laughs> what a what a I mean and Carl Weathers man yeah. that whole cast was just rock stars man it was it was just stacked the deck was stacked full of aces you know yeah. actually we gotta get we gotta uh, Carl Weathers was I, I met him at some French film festival here in the states he's a giant giant uh, oh, French French film aficionado oh no <clears throat> which uh, which was fun but um yeah but I'm like like I saw Rocky in Philadelphia by you and um I ran out and immediately. Joe knows where I'm talking about. It was one of those theaters on Rittenhouse Square, Joe. Mm-hmm. And I, I ran out and immediately did laps around Rittenhouse. Square. Ran up the stairs. Did you run up the stairs? Oh, I everyone's done that. Yeah, sure. But did here's you? here's the thing. I don't know. I don't want to shatter any of your dreams. If you actually tried, and I guarantee you, you're in way better shape than I am. But no one is in good enough shape to actually do the run that Rocky does. Yeah. I believe it's like 72 square miles or something like that. <laughs> he just goes everywhere. But imagine uh, that steady cam operator having to run up those stairs with him, man. Imagine yes. Hugging that big piece of metal. <laughs> yes. Oh well, you'll you'll love this because I it, yeah, it was one of my favorite movies. I got in trouble years ago. I did a interview in Philadelphia magazine, and um, uh, when I got nominated, they they asked like, "Would you ever come back?" And I go, "I love Philadelphia." I go, "But." Uh, Philadelphia is the kind of city Philadelphia is the only city I know of that would build a statue to a guy who lost a fight <laughs> <laughs> and I meant that with love I, got yeah. this, all this I filmed there before I did a movie called Safe there with Jason Statham and then we shot this oh, yeah. movie Warrior oh, with Boaz with Boaz Yakin. that's right there's also another movie called Warrior yeah. with Tom Hardy and Joel Edgerton that we shot half in Philly oh, and yeah. half in Pittsburgh fantastic movie um, wow man God, we should be back sometime just talk about all the great movies you've worked on um, uh, cool. And then, uh, I know you started, you're starting to move into some of the, um, the later Hong Kong stuff, uh, like police story. Let's talk about that. Cause so that such I'll, an amazing I'll, tra- I'll transition us into this real quick. just by saying mm. that Jackie Chan, because he was a performer at first, he was a stunt man in mm-hmm. enter the dragon in a few movies. Then he became a star. Then he became a director. So this is why I have a special place in my heart for him because sure. he started as a stuntman. Yep. And uh, probably I will not be a movie star anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but I'm not, and it's not for me. But what I'm this is when you see the transition from the from the Hong Kong movies that Bruce Lee did, mm-hmm. which were amazing, but shot very standard, one camera wide, one camera middle, one camera tight, three cameras, then do the reverse, and then we're done. Whereas Jackie Chan, when he became a director, changed the way that we they filmed action. He took the he took the um, the puzzle and cut it up differently and put it together differently. It was like five shots, cut, five shots, cut. So it was almost like a game of pool. Your 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 leave is just as important as your shot. So right. the way that they shot it, he would cut it in the camera. He would edit it in camera. He knew where he was going. So it changed the rhythm of the fighting. It actually made the action the star of the movie in a strange way. And I, that really resonated with me. And I'll tell you, police story, I, the first one that I saw was Project A Part One. Oh yeah. The one that I saw difference between like, you know, the huck, 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 yup, yup. And then all of a sudden it was like, what's going on? You know, like mm-hmm. it was just viscerally different. Project A. And then he went on this run, it was probably like 1981. And then he went on this run as a director, getting bigger budgets and bigger budgets. 
Armor of God and Police Story are my two all-time favorite Jackie Chan films. And he did Police Story after he did Armor of God. Police Story might be one of the biggest, cleanest. The, Police Story, they stole, uh, Tango and Cash stole the opening bus sequence from them. You remember? Oh, when that's right. Sure. Bus and pulls a pistol. <clears throat> yep, and yep. Rapid Fire stole the whole upstairs business from him with the, uh, with the cold clothes rack on wheels. It's because we didn't have the internet back then. And nobody knew, you know, everybody thought, oh, it's secret. Nobody saw it. It's on VHS. Right. That's, that's how power, that's how great those movies were. I mean, Armor of God, the ending fight with the girls for me was like all time. And then and police story was, I mean, it doesn't really get any better for me. And this all came in a time, like I learned, I got in this business in 90. So you couldn't just say, oh, we'll fix it in post. Now right. everything is so CG driven. That, yeah. you know, like everything they did had to be thought out in camera, even the wires, you know, they can't paint the wires out. So they they had to make the background with slacks. So it looked like the wires would hide in the background. I mean, that's genius filmmaking to me. Like I work uh, on a lot of movies I work on now is just a big blue screen fest. Right. And there's not a lot of filmmaking involved anymore. There's a lot of post filmmaking involved. Well, I think the thing with Jackie, too, that I was going to sense is having been a stuntman um, and he was. Uh, I think one of the first of those guys was a real, not just martial arts movie, junkie, but he was a real movie junkie. And he grew yeah. up in movies, studying movies, studying Charlie Chaplin, Buster, Buster Keaton. Keaton. Come on, man. And, and realizing as those guys did, that it's not enough to just point the camera at the stunt. You have to, you have to subjectivize it and you have to. Um, yeah. I mean, Joe, when you, when did you stumble across like Jackie Chan? Cause I know there was no sort of like Jackie Chan's great movies. Didn't just come here on mass you had to sort of find them no you had to find them and, and a lot of it was going to the video store yeah, because right. these movies didn't just play at your local bijou you know they, mm -hmm. they, they you had to you had to look for them if you're a big city you could find them you know you yeah. had enough grind houses and places to run old movies but uh but it was it was video that really did it i mean that was and and once and once there's a, a section and you get one out of the section then you go back and you want more they're all in the section and then you can go through the various stars and directors and all that kind of stuff and John Woo and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, and, and that's, I think, and that's how it built up a fan base. I mean, do you remember though, like a moment when you sort of realized that Jackie Chan was like in love with the same stuff you were, the, the, you know, going back to like Keaton and Chaplin and that stuff. I, I sensed a lot of silent movie stuff yeah. in, in the first one I saw. Yeah, because I just I, I I mean I didn't I didn't make that connection, but I just remember realizing like this is different. This is this is directed in a way that I had not seen before. Um, and that even I mean as as great as he was, Bruce Lee was not a, a movie guy per se. It's like um, you know, Way of the Dragon, Return of the Dragon is not exactly. Um, you don't walk out going, "That's how you direct martial arts." <laughs> yeah. um, where where did you where did you find Jackie for the first time, JJ? Because your your like video stores was that. Yes. Yeah, so, so before before I joined the army, there you know there was the whole VHS. You know, we didn't get it was a there was a, a video store not too far from my house, and we also had on Saturdays uh, on on our on like channel thirty eight in Houston, they would play a double feature of martial arts. And we all in downtown Houston, you could go to the the, the double feature for a dollar and watch double features all day. Mm -hmm. But it was when I was stationed in Korea, is when I saw Armor of God, nineteen eighty six, mm. and I saw it in the theater. And it was in Korean. I mean, it was in Chinese, but with Korean subtitles. So I didn't understand a word of it. But I was right. so captured by... Well, who cares? <laughs> dude, I was so captured by the... Yeah, exactly. But not just that, the cool shots, 
you know, he knew how to, he knew, he knew how to take control of the camera. It was, um, it was amazing. It was very telling, you know, for me. And then when, uh, when, you know, then I rented it, you know, by the base where I was stationed and we would, we would have big Jackie Chan on the weekends. We'd have big Jackie Chan, you know, film festival almost in our, in my barracks. We'd all trip out on Jackie Chan. Uh, I'll be, I wouldn't be lying to you if I told you a bunch of cognac wouldn't going down with it, but oh, we'd yeah. all be hooping and hollering and stuff. But um, it, yeah, and then when, when when police story hit, when I was uh, I processed back to the U.S. and then police story hit, and I saw that on a as a video as well. But when I got out of the army and I moved to L.A. in 1990, we had the Lemley Theater in Santa mm -hmm. Monica. Yep. We had the midnight movie all the time, which was That's always right. like this is where I found John Woo for the first time, The Killer, Better Luck yep. Tomorrow, um, Hard Boiled, which is an all time classic. I can tell you, Hard Boiled. Had a lot of influence on what we did on John Wick. Um, sure, yeah, yeah, but it was it definitely changed the way that we looked at gunplay. Even though they had a thousand bullets in those Chinese guns, they never had yes. to reload. You know, but we we definitely enjoyed that. But yeah, I was when I got out of the army, I moved to California. A lot more movies. This is where I really immersed myself in. Like I, it was hard to find them in the army, you know. But when I got out and moved here, you'd go to Chinatown and get get DVDs or or, or, or VHS and stuff. Actually, I, I got I got to quibble with you on one thing. Is one of the things I loved about John Woo films is that, and in a way, it made it almost worse because they would fire three thousand bullets, but it was the first time I'd ever seen anybody make reloading a gun look cool. Remember, he'd like pop the cartridges out, and then there'd always be some trick where he had two cartridges somewhere else and just slammed the gun into them. The motion, bro. Every time he'd drop a mag, they'd be at like seventy-two frames. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And he put a new one in. They had another thousand bullets in it. Yeah. 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 Um, and, and the thing with Jackie Chan that always boggled my mind, because I was thinking Armor of God's the one um, uh, where he ended up with a piece of plastic uh, instead of a skull because he jumped off that thing. And they show all those outtakes at the end. And the gag is always like, here's somebody getting terribly injured. And it seems to me, did you ever notice this? It's always like, it's always on the second take that somebody gets severely fucked up. It's like they do the first take. It's great. He's like, let's do it again for safety. And then he breaks his neck and they have to stop <laughs> shooting for three months. Brother, I'll tell you, as an experienced stuntman, um, I, I've been to the hospital a few times. And it's I usually after, the, after we've got what we needed already. One of the things, I worked in Hong Kong a bunch back in the, in oh, the really? mid-90s. Oh, and wow. Corey Yoon told me, he said, Ugh. Corey Yoon said, JJ, you're going to do a Weibo stunt next. And I was like, what? He goes, after stunt, Weibo, Weibo, Weibo. So I knew what that meant. It means he was going to 86 us. And that's the thing about Hong Kong, you know, that didn't really have the safety measures in place. <laughs> yes. So it, you just have to look at certain things and just go, look, it's not going to kill me. I'm just going to go for it. And that's kind of the way they did it back then. And in Hong Kong, you know, now it's quite, quite different, but, um, but yeah, that's, that's part of it in the action. It's almost like a strike for the tiger. It's almost a bragging right in Hong Kong. If you get carted off or you get some stitches, you can go, Hey, look, Jesus. Yeah. Like a, a map, a roadmap of your career. <laughs> Good God. Um, yeah, I'll stick to screenwriting. Hey, we're just going to take a break from our conversation with JJ Perry to uh, give a shout out to our sponsor, MoviesUnlimited.com, the movie collector's website, who are not only huge fans of our show, but they feature many of the movies we discuss here, especially the ones with ninjas. So you can easily find them to add to your collection. Sure, you can stream a lot of stuff these days, but when you buy your favorites, you watch what you want, when you want it. There's usually a ton of great content and bonus features like director's commentary, deleted scenes, all kinds of other stuff. Plus, you have it in your hands. You're not going to wake up tomorrow and find out that it's gone because of some licensing garbage. 
Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And how about how about like Thai stuff? Have you, I mean, I'm sure you've seen all that stuff like Ongbok or... Bro, so listen, for me, when I saw The Matrix come out, I got sad because it was... It was an over, it was an over-the-top wirework festival that I thought was cool. Chad Stahowski, double Keanu Reeves, who's my dear friend, and I called him out so. But I got sad because I thought, oh man, you can't make a badass movie for less than 30 mil, which that's what the budget was on that back then, which is probably like 150 mil now. And then Ongbok wow. shows up. It cost yeah. a million bucks to make, where it was amazing. And I worked with Tony Jaw on his first movie. Uh, Mortal Kombat 2, while we were filming in Thailand, he was a stuntman mm. that doubled for Robin Shu. That's where we met. He was only 16. And he was amazing. Like, he never, it was like one day God was making a tiger and he accidentally made a man. And said, oh, we'll just throw this one. That's Tony Job. <laughs> Scott Atkins is kind of like that too. But um, it was a real pleasure. But yeah, it was, it was refreshing for me. And it was probably a year or two after that that I went and did Undisputed 2. Mm. So it really inspired me to, to, to try and see a little further and not rely on wire work or tricks but just to rely on the physicality of my performers. Yeah. That's a good point too. Cause I, I, I mean, I love the matrix, but you're right. It felt like for a little while, it sort of made it impossible to do straight martial arts films right. and right. people had to rediscover it and find new ways to kind of make, make it look good. That's right. Um, Have you guys yeah, watched Korean cinema? Sure. Yeah. Oh, no, absolutely. I mean, I think it's, it's um, like, I think they're making the best movies in the world right now. It's insane. agreed. 100%, 100%. And, and, Great directors. The, the, I'm dying to make a movie over there because I was stationed there for a little while. And I'm, I'm semi-fluent. Like I can speak Korean enough to get oh, right. around. I'm, it's on my bucket list to do a movie in Korea, for sure. Ah, I, I almost worked with Park Chan-wook uh, many years ago. Oh, dude, what Heart, a game. Heartbroken that it did not happen. Yeah. What a G. Yes. Um, God, I mean, just that, that, that incredible. And talk about, it's almost anti-directing that, that, that fight in old boy where it's just the long shot in the hallway as they come towards him. And <laughs> man, it, so I did a, a remake of that. I'm not, I'm a little bit ashamed to admit it with Spike, oh, yeah, with Spike Lee. He directed it. And there's a long version of that on YouTube. We did a version that was four minutes and 20 seconds, but um, it, it, you know, it did not quite get to the same accolades as uh, yeah, it did, we didn't do as good. I mean, how could you? I mean, how exactly. could it's, it's, I even uh, said, I was like, you sure you want to do this? <laughs> yeah. No, I'm, I'm a much bigger fan of remaking bad movies. I think that's a, lot, a lot safer. You can always make them better. Yeah, that, that a boy. That a boy. Yeah. I, Joe and I, we've talked about that. I'm sure. Have we not? Here. We tend, I think, yeah, it's, much easier, it's much easier to remake a movie that didn't work. 
because yeah. then you make it work and they say, oh, this is, this is better. But if you yeah. do a movie that's almost perfect, then you, you like, like, why did they want to remake The Manchurian Candidate? Exactly. Right. You know? and, and, he, yeah. and Jonathan was a friend of mine. And I just couldn't figure out. And he said, well, because we're going to modernize it. And he said, that's, that's, that's not the point of the story. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't require it. I um, always hear talk about remaking Enter the Dragon. And I always go, why would you do that? Yeah, you know, that's, a, that's a weird thing to do. Like the Warriors, too. Like, I, I got to work with Walter Hill years ago. On, oh, yes. On, um, on Bullet yeah. to the Head with Stallone. That's right. But they all were talking about, you know, they were talking, he was saying, oh, they're, they're, they want me to rewrite, you know, like rework out the Warriors. And I was like, <laughs> I don't know, boss. I think you should leave that one, you know. I think, I think he agrees. Um, God, yeah, I had a meeting years ago. I actually probably shouldn't say who was a big, big director his company wanted to do that and they their whole idea was to like uh, make it really really gritty and realistic and modern i was like why would you do that to the warriors it's such yeah. a that seems like a weird thing to do um yeah leave it alone have you have you ever met there was a while back uh i haven't heard about it in a while but there's the there's a company that basically um we all joked and call it they they, they had bruce lee in a box they have a fully digital uh scan or something of bruce lee that they can fully animate and they keep trying to figure out ways to make bruce lee movies with it and i don't know what happened to that i have not heard about that in a while but that that also seemed like a bad idea agreed agreed <laughs> um, you know you know ang lee has ang lee has a movie called uh thriller in manila which is the story of him and um him and joe frazier uh muhammad ali and joe frazier i saw in some test footage that he had of that uh back when we were doing john wick one i was in new york and i when I did a movie with him called um, Billy Lynn's Long Long Halftime Walk. Oh, yeah. right. Yeah, the, the HD. Yeah. That's right. I went to his office and hung out with him a little bit and watched this footage. And it looked just like Frazier and Ali. But you're, in the, you're in the ring with them and spits flying off of them. And they're talking trash through their mouthpieces. And I was like, how'd you do this? He said, Weta. Yeah. Weta visual effects from uh, New Zealand. I was like, wow. Wait, and he goes, this is a prototype. So eventually they will. Eventually they'll make Bruce Lee. They'll probably make something that makes Bruce Lee looks more like Bruce Lee than Bruce Lee. You yeah. know, but uh, yeah, but they've still got to come up with a point. Exactly. Yeah. This is and that's the burden. Tech, listen, that's my whole take on visual effects. It's easy to say, oh, we'll fix it in post, you know, or visual effects. Because uh, I think um uh, technology grows exponentially, but filmmaking yeah. doesn't. And whether it pushes filmmaking forward or not is. We'll see. We'll see how it works. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm wary of it. And then there's all sorts of, you know, not just, but there are ethical questions to be raised yeah. there too. Agreed. <laughs> it's like, put, put me in a movie I never would have agreed to be in after I'm dead. That's, like, <laughs> yeah. that's uh, yeah. Um, is there any before we get to the next one? I want to is is there stuff? Um, because it's great listening to you know someone who does this talk about these films. Um are there movies kind of outside of that, that world that you love? Or are you like, do you have a secret yen for, you know, romantic comedies or musicals that people don't know about? Or there, I love horror movies and comedies, horror movies for me. It requires great direction to keep that level of suspense. You know, I'm, I get scared shitless, but I sit and watch them with my wife and she loves them. But I, I really admire that, that kind of direction where you always have the upper hand on the audience. It's yeah. not easy. It's not easy. Like, for example, in my in, in, in action, my whole mantra is if I tell you I'm going to punch you in the face and then do it, it's not nearly as impactful 
Because if I just punch you in the face and then say, I just punched you in the face, it's kind of like that in horror movies, how the director keeps the upper hand on the, on, the, on the audience. And I'm a big fan of that. And I also think comedy is very hard as well. I mean, you know, I was scared. I, didn't, I wasn't scared of anything in directing Day Shift because I've prepped movies for 32 years. I've worked on movies for 32 years. The only thing I hadn't done is post. Never been mm. in post before. Mm. But, I, you know, I know how to edit because I edit all my previs and stuff. But what scared me was the comedy. Sure. But what I learned, what I, was, what I was betting on, is that if I had great actors with great comedic timing and created an opportunity for them to succeed, what I did was I wrote down a list. I learned from Paul Feig, who I worked with on the movie Spy, who's a mm. director that did, he did Spy. Uh, he's done a bunch of comedies. Yeah. He had this, um, this thing, a whole bunch of Post-it notes that he would have a street, like an accordion of alts that he would have, you know, like, and he would keep it rolling and say, try this, now say mm. this. So what I did was I did something similar to that. But then Dave Franco and Jamie Foxx, a lot of the times you just got to let the camera roll and let them run with it. Right. I, I, I mean, I, what, the, what I found, I ruined some of my takes from laughing too loud behind the monitors. <laughs> there was, <laughs> it was hard for me. It was hard for me, you know, because I'm watching it. You know, you're in the monitor like, God, it's happening. Right. And then when they say it, it's like, ha ha. And they're like, oh, shit. <laughs> it was awesome. It, it, and it definitely, I mean, I think that's got to be about maintaining a kind of a feeling of kind of looseness and, and fun because everyone seems to be uh, Scott. And I, I can't remember if I even knew who the, the, Scott Atkins, the guy who plays his brother. I thought had a real kind of looseness and fun. Oh, I, I, see I, a, I see a whole other movie with those, those two guys. Or yeah. A series. <laughs> yeah. Oh God. Yeah. Yes. What are they? Uh, Lithuanian or something? No, they're 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 uh, they're Armenian. The Nazarian. Armenian. That's Glendale, right. Glendale coming coming out west. So I had a good friend named Petro, um Petrosian, Armin Petrosian, that I was in the army with. Yeah, he was basically loose. They were based on his character. We would eat. He would eat chicken. All he would eat chicken for every meal. He always had a drumstick. Our Petrosian. He's my like. He's like my brother. Um, he's not with us anymore, but he was a dear friend. And I, he was an homage to my old, my old buddy, Armin Petrosian and Snoop Dogg's character was actually an homage to my old platoon sergeant. Ah. So yeah, what I did was I just took every character to make them familiar to me. Cause I got to sit sure. with Tyler Price for like a year and, and work on the script together. And I just made everybody familiar to me. You, and, can't, uh, go, so, you can't go and wrong. You can't go wrong basing characters on people that you really knew. That's yeah. right. You know, it's, it's, yeah. it's always real and it, yeah. it never looks phony. That's right. And yeah. uh, that I bet I had, I put my bet on that. And um, we, we came out. Okay. I <laughs> but that, yeah, you got, if nobody's talked about it, yeah, I think a Netflix spinoff series about those guys. What do you think about Snoop when he first gets out of the army, cleaning up the LBC? That'd be kind of cool. Oh yeah. No, he's great too. He's so great in that. I want well, to also, he's, he's, he's right out of a Western. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Like I said, he's like my platoon sergeant. He was a, a Sergeant Cobb from South Georgia. Always had a cowboy hat in, always had a lip in, you know, he always had yeah. a, a dip or he was smoking one of those backwood cigars. He yeah. talked like <laughs> this. What's up there, boss? Y'all get out the rack before I kick your ass. You know, he was, <laughs> he was great. Yeah. He was yeah great. That's why it's so chock block with just great characters too. Like everybody, everybody clearly has a story. Every, every actor's having a good time playing them. Um, it's it's uh it's such a blast. Um 
And by the way, speaking of speaking of a movie that is loaded with characters, you're you're a uh, you're a fan of uh, well obscure little uh, movie no one ever talks about, Die Hard. Man, I remember when I saw Die Hard the first time. I'm going to just take you back one second. Do you remember how you felt the first time you saw Star Wars and they went into hyperspace? Oh yeah. I was like, as a kid, you're like, oh my god, what just happened? That's how I felt like for the two hours when I was watching Die Hard. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Was, yep. Whoa. I mean, the Terminator One for me was like, what just happened? And Die Hard, uh, that whole period of movies when they had to do it for real, yeah. for me was really, and it's maybe because I was growing up, but Die Hard for me was a nonstop stock full of cool characters saying funny stuff. It was an action, it was an action comedy. Yeah. I don't know if you could call it a comedy, but I think it was funny. You yeah, that was funny as hell. And I'll but tell ser- you, but Die- serious. Yeah. And if Die Hard is on TV when I'm supposed to leave and go do something, Chances are I'm going to make the call and say, hey, man, I'm not going to make it. I'll catch up with you in like two hours. And I will just plop down and make a sandwich and trip out on Die Hard for two hours. Yeah, it was it was everything about it, even the look. Um, I mean, the end of cinematography, just there was something about it. What what am I right, Joe? Was that like it's a look you hadn't seen before? Well, of, I, I think about it every time I drive by that uh, <laughs> that, that building. Oh, yeah. Not, not until me plaza. There. Nobody can remember <laughs> it's the Fox Tower. It's not until me plaza. But there was something about the look of it, just the lenses he used, the lighting, the flares. I mean, everything about it. Um, I have a friend who's been on the the uh, on the show, JJ, who talks about the same day he and some friends had gone to see Deadpool, the last Dirty Harry film, which is all due respect to Clint, just one of the worst movies ever. Certainly yep. the worst dirty. And you, he went from that movie and then walked into Die Hard on opening day. And he said it was just like watching the dinosaurs die in front of you. It was like, <laughs> think about the cinematography from the late '80s. For me, is some of the best-looking films in the world. Like you look at mm-hmm. *State of Grace* or *Black yeah. Rain* or *Die Hard*. Any of those movies, *Pope of Greenwich Village*, when they're shooting film, long lensy, it looks gritty. Like when yeah. they, in the opening of *Die Hard*, when the plane lands and the sun is orange with the palm trees. I mean, that's so LA. I I ripped some of that off and put it in day shift. I mean, I. I wanted to embrace a lot of those movies. There's a lot of that, you know, that, you know, that in everything you see, you can't be, you can't see something and not be influenced by it. There's no way. Yeah. Once you see it, you're influenced by it. No, the, so co- the color grading, to- the color grading is, uh, is, is very out of the beginning of Die Hard. And, and, and it's, and it's not just the, not just a couple of snock shots you use, but there's, it, it's, it's consistent. It it's is. almost like, oh brother, where art thou? I mean, it's yeah. been, it's been so worked on. You know, you think about Jan de Bont, what a gangster, man. He was just hitting home runs. He could not, he, he couldn't miss back then. Everything he put out was super cool. Yeah. So, you know, that was an era of film, you know, and the way they graded it. And, you know, that's a lost art now. Like I never, I started on film when, when we were doing stunts and they said, four cameras rolling at 96 frames. The In my head, I knew I was about to make a bunch of money. There's going to be a big explosion. <laughs> What's going to happen? Or and end up in the hospital. Yeah, well, that's a weeboo stunt. It's definitely a weeboo <laughs> stunt. But for the most part, stunt men and women now, they don't know what that means. You know, like, okay, 96 frames. Crickets, crickets, crickets. Right. <laughs> so it's just a different world now, you know, where, you know, you had to think about your how big the mag was. We're running out. You know, you can't just run a long series. I'll run a damn 20-minute series now if I got a red camera and a chip that has it, you know, but it's, it's a different game now. But that's, I mean, would you say that that's an improvement overall, wouldn't you say, the, the ability uh, to just... I think so. I still like the way, I mean, it's more, the craft work was definitely, you know, you had to, it was, there was more craft back in the day, but they're also taking the, they're also, they're also making it easier. You're right. 
I like yeah. the way those old gritty films look. I love yeah. it. You yeah. know, and it's, they, you can kind of get there. That's what I was trying to do on Day Shift and uh, Toby uh, Oliver, my DP, and I watched a couple of we watched we watched Die Hard, we watched uh, um, we watched Big Trouble in Little China, we watched um, we watched several of those late eighties movies. I said, okay. oh, this is what I want to see. This is point, what I want the movie to look like." Point Break, you a Point Break guy? Yeah, man, I love Point Break. Love Point Break. <laughs> what a, just, what a killer film! Yeah, ahead of its yeah. time. Yeah, I mean the look of all those things, um, yeah. and and your your movie has that look. It's like if you ask me right now, just trying to remember because you know was it shot on film? I'd be like, I honestly don't know, but because you did it, it, it had that vibe. It really yeah. Was. Thanks, man. I really wanted it to have that look. I want it to be a throwback film, you know, where it's that's why I had Bud driving an older truck. I wanted it mm -hmm. to feel like it could have been in the eighties, it could be in the nineties, it could be right now. I wanted to give it a very uh, ambiguous time where, where where I wasn't locking myself into any time. You know, but yeah. you knew you were in present day because of, you know, Snoop Dogg's new truck and all those cell phones and stuff. When yeah. I got out of the army, I moved to the valley first. And that's kind of my trajectory. Like when you get out of the army or you come here from somewhere else and you don't have any money, you're either going to end up by the airport or you're going to end up in the valley. <laughs> and then you kind of earn your way over the hill. And now I'm in Koreatown and I'm still uh -huh. trying to get to San Marino, brother. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, I, I, I think you're going to get there. The, um, uh, terribly, I mean, the movie hasn't even come out yet. But are you are you uh, gearing up for your next one yet? Or are you kind of? Uh... We're talking about it. Like I'm, I've been doing. I've done two big second unit jobs. You know, I've been a second unit director since 2010, and I don't know if you you, you guys know what that means. You know what it means, yeah. but like most people don't really know what that means. There, it means that you direct action on big action movies, and you know, I would say to you, you know, with a straight face, that there's probably 10 percent of the action movies that are out there that directors are actually directing. Most of the big action movies, in the action in those big action movies are directed by second unit directors. So, you know, what that does, and I will tell you now, you know, as a guy that's done both now, I've got to look behind the curtain. I would tell you it might be a little harder to direct a big car chase when you have to lock up a city and you've got 17 cars, two motorcycles, a helicopter, and explosions going on than it is to direct three guys in an office doing some comedy if you have the right three guys in the office. <laughs> right. If you don't, I don't know yet because I haven't had an experience with an actor that wasn't great. I've been blessed. Hopefully I'll never have an experience like that, but I will tell you it's very difficult and not just difficult because time is finite on second unit, but you're also under the pressure that somebody could get hurt or killed and that's on you. So it's a, there's a lot, it's, 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 um, it's a multi-level stress doing second unit and being a stunt coordinator. And the, the years that I've got to do that is what prepared me for this. And I can tell you, I never had so much fun in my life as I did directing that movie. I had a great time. You can tell. You can thank definitely you. tell. You can definitely tell. Um, well, awesome. Well, JJ, man, thank you so much. Uh, really, really appreciate it. Um, best of luck. I, you, you don't need it from us. Uh, Brothers, I'm so going to love this thing. People are going to love it. It's I'm so grateful blast. for you guys. So grateful that you had me on, guys. I, I, like well, I we're, 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 great. we're great. We got to see it ahead of everybody. Yeah, we get to be those jerks who are like, man, we talked first. <laughs> you know, I could take you back 32 years, and when I got out of the Army, I never would have guessed I would have had any of this fortune. I'm super grateful for it. It's like I keep winning the lottery. So thanks for thanks for your time, brothers. And, you know, before, thank you. Before you go, I, do, I have one, one, one question, because I've always wondered. Does Netflix preview their movies? Do you go to a preview? Yes. Like audience preview with cards and all that nonsense? Yeah, well, they did, we did two. We did one online. And then we did one at the movie theater. Uh huh. And did they? And, uh, I was unfortunately I was directing second unit in France for the one in the movie theater, but I had a oh, live. No. Again. 
Oh, I said, oh no. So you have you seen this with a crowd? Well, I've watched the live feed from my from my laptop or from my iPad. And what stuck to me, what really made me feel proud was they were laughing at the jokes. Right. When yeah. the jokes hit, everybody was laughing. When the girl, when the old lady popped up, everybody jumped. It was like every jab I threw, I knew I was, I didn't know I was gonna hit until I saw that. And then yeah. I was like, it was, it made me feel really good. Like, okay, you you bet heavy on that, but you were right. And never second guess yourself ever again. You know, so so they didn't didn't that reaction make them think that, gee, you know, maybe it'd be nice to put this in a couple of theaters. I can't speak for Netflix, my brother. I'm just grateful that they greenlit my movie and let me make my own movie, bro. I, I don't know. Listen, I, I don't know the business end of this. I'm not, I didn't go to college. I only can count to 30. That's how many rounds I used to have in my magazine. They're going to do what they're going to do. If they let me do it again, I will hit the ball even farther because now I know what not to do from the editing room. Yeah. That's, that's uh, well, true. Think, that's what think you about learned. that spinoff series, man. I think that would be sensational. And I, I want to see Scott get the kind of startup he deserves over in this yeah, country. Scott's, Scott's going to be in John Wick 4 as well. I saw I see that's him. Right. He's outrageous. This yeah. is his coming up party this year. He's just always good in everything. And it's like sort of, you're waiting for that moment. Um, but uh, anyway, well, well, terrific. Thanks. Thank you. JJ, uh, the movie is Day Shift. It's opening, um, it's this Friday, right? On uh, on Netflix. And, on the 12th. Um, August 12th. On the 12th. August 12th. And um, uh, check it out, because it really is as fun as we're saying it is. Um, we would not steer you. We wouldn't you kid you. It's we true. would not kid you. We would not <laughs> lie to you. All right, man. Thank Thanks. you. Thank you, brothers. Bye. Our show was recorded from several well-stocked bunkers. We can't wait to get back to beautiful downtown Burbank. We're the official podcast of TrailersFromHell.com, the best damn movie website there is. Our engineer is the composer Don Barrett, who also transmogrified, produced, and created our theme song. This is Josh Olson for the Movies That Made. Stay safe out there, folks. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast.